Hi, I'm Ray, and you're listening to Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them, and she, her. And it's been a bit of a while since we last uh, talked to one another here on Insert Quest here. Uh, This is going to be the beginning of our uh, return to interview podcasting this year with a plan to record uh, six interviews with six people in and around the game industry. Today, I'm coming to you from Awabakal and Waramayan land here in uh, central, New- central, central coastal New South Wales, uh, in so-called Australia. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to Nem today, perhaps more widely known as Sandy Pug. Uh, Nem is a game designer and something of an indie game patron, helping several games get made and complete their Kickstarters over the years. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Nem. Would you mind further introducing yourself for our listeners? Sure thing. Hey, Ray. Um, I am glad to be here. Um, I I do think I have been on, perhaps. Yes, sometime. I believe I believe you you've been on. Um, in a supporting capacity with other people for mm. what was at the time the San Gennaro Co-op. I think it's got a different name now. Mm, mm. Yeah, Far Horizons these days. Far Horizons, yeah. So coming on there to do group interviews for some of the projects. I believe we had you on for the um, Role Players ga- Guide to Heists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have that right here, right beside me. Uh, um, yes, so uh, yeah. Nem, uh, profile, uh, oh, sorry, pronouns are, are she, her. Um, I am a, a games designer and a producer of of many different experiences. Um, and like Ray said, I, I help folks get their stuff made when I can. Um, I, I am trying this year to, to make more of my own stuff. So we'll mm-hmm. see we'll see how much of that continues. But um, always got an eye to 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 building this community that we've all got together, um, trying to trying to help folks get their arts out there. Yeah, and so I think. The last project that we actually had on the show that was associated with you, I believe, was um, didn't you help with the big RPGC uh, thing mm-hmm. that got printed yeah. before? So we did interviews with uh, for Capitalites and Mahalika and uh, Nevertham's End, uh, which has got another Kickstarter coming up for a print run in a min- uh, in a few weeks, I think. Um, super exciting! Super exciting! Yeah, and and, of, and we didn't do an interview for it, but I believe the last thing that you published for for yourself, even though it was a project involving lots of people, was uh, Monster Care Squad, right? That was the last big thing. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. last thing people probably will, will recognize. And so this week we're going to be talking about this week. I mean, this episode we're going to be talking about uh, a game that I'm very excited for, uh, which is called Hell Pierces, which you. I first heard about, I don't know if it's necessarily when the idea germinated, but I first heard about at roughly the same time that I had started working on um, uh, Reclaim Eternity, uh, both sort of having these vibes of like, uh, fuck heaven and hell, Uh, Mm -hmm. we're not going to quietly accept these impositions on ourselves. Yeah, it was was super hype to see your idea drop, like... There was like there was there was you doing that, and it, we had like a, a couple of fun chats about like the the um the sympath the, the sympathetic link between the two there, and then I, I think more than one other person has like jumped up to have their own sort of 
to hell with hell and to hell with heaven sort of vibe. Well, there's a lot of like there's a lot of like uh Gnostic rebellion going on around in the scene today. Yeah, a lot a lot of heresy games uh, coming mm-hmm. out. Um so yeah, uh, I think we'll start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about hell piercers and then we'll see where that leads. Um so what what is the quick pitch for hell piercers? Hell Piercers uh, is a tactical tabletop role-playing game with map game elements um, where you and a collection of other uh, enlightened or empowered or ascended humans invade hell to liberate all the remaining human souls that have yet to reach uh, a sort of spiritual nirvana. Uh, and you're going to do this with big guns um, and and cool spaceships and, and other junk like that. That's kind of the... The, if I could sell it to you in, in a sentence, that's the one there. Nice. And so uh, that's a pretty big departure from your previous game, Monster Care Squad, <laughs> which is all about, like, you know, I guess my my understanding of it is it's like Pokemon, except instead of trying to uh, capture Pokemon and make them fight, you're trying to, like, heal these monsters. I guess there's also probably a little bit of Monster Hunter in there, except instead of trying to kill monsters and harvest them for parts, you're trying to, like, uh, heal these monsters and and find them, like, safe places. It's a lot more, like, kind of... um, uh, Almost... (laughs) My first thought was Wild Thornbreeze-esque. Uh, but like, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's it's a very, it's a much more a lot less violent a game, at least in premise. Um, what what uh, what sort of led you to a game designer to become a game designer, and what sort of like what's the thread of your creation between these two things? So like, how did you first get started in game design? And then we'll see if we can find the link to these two very different games. I wish we'd put, I wish we'd put Thornberry esque as a marketing (laughs) pitch for, for monster care Squad. That really would have captured a demographic that I think we left on the table. Um, There's not enough like guys with big, big jaws and 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 big silly hair in tabletop role-playing games. I think that everyone knows that. Um, so I started making games. Um, I started making board games uh, way back in the day. That was the first thing that I tried to do. But it's hard to make board games. I don't know if I don't know if you know this. Um, but it's really difficult. Um, I have made primarily... a a board game and uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I made it using zine making techniques because otherwise it would have been annoying as hell. Well, that's the trick, right? You can't make it yourself. Not really. If you, you know, you know, you can certainly, but if you want anyone to actually play it, when I started making uh, board games, this was a little bit before the print at home revolution that kind of happened over the last ten years, mm-hmm. where um, print and play games, I think, have moved into their own in a, in a big way um, in the board game space uh, in the last little while, and they, they even get. Um, you know that super hot card game that came out that started as like a print and play thing that the 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 developer did in their own time, that kind of thing. So like there's there's more established paths now, I think, for like your your random person off the street to kind of build something and have people play. But back then, I was just making stuff for nobody, basically. Um, but that kind of game the board game mechanical design focus has definitely always been sort of lingering in the back of my head, right? And yeah, I how it gets from there to to Monster Care Squad and then how Monster Care Squad turns into Hell Piercers is sort of 
sort of a combination of me going, well, maybe people didn't understand Monster Care Squad as much as they think they do. Um, and also, <laughs> like, me kind of admitting to myself that, like, I, I'm an eclectic designer. You know, I, I have a I have a desire to just be constantly exploring stuff and trying new things. Sometimes, you know, that doesn't work out. I'll be the first to admit that. Sometimes my, my propensity to try to find a new way of doing things rather than reiterate on existing themes can lead me to... to um, cataclysm and disarray but mostly it's good mostly it's good for me um and this really i think is just another example of that i mean when you when you dig into them i think they both have a lot of themes that they share you know they're both liberatory experiences they're both like mm -hmm. utopic in a lot of way even though you know one one of them takes place literally in hell um and, and involves lots of shooting stuff but you're you're doing it for a good reason um they're both sort of community focused in interesting ways you know we can talk about this a little later on, but in Hellpiercers, you're not playing as, like, a guy, right? You're playing as a sort of abstracted war effort of, mm -hmm. of a combined humanity. Um, I mean, you know, who have, that's up to the table to kind of determine in more uh, in more fidelity. But the, the intent within the rules is definitely, you're focused on a wider... The goal there's the, is similar. There's the, there's the implication that there is a, a whole logistical chain behind you supporting you yeah and the mechanics try to in some way sort of if not simulate that then imply it and give you like some levers to tug on for that kind of stuff like i said I, the, the goal is sort of the same in both in that you're rescuing kind of once upon a time someone asked me why i call them monsters in monster care squad right because mon mm -hmm. monsters has this like connotation of a, a demon or a beast and and i was like well, yeah generally a monster is something negative right. for a lot of people and so, so are all the people in hell, right? Like, you don't get to hell without trying a little bit. Um, so they both sort of have Monster Care Squad, you know, I'm like, actually, monsters aren't evil. They're good guys, really. They're misunderstood. Or, like, you have a preconception that you have to analyze. But here, you know, I don't even know that we're touching so much on, like... I mean, the setting of the game was just unanimous, you know what I mean? Eternal punishment is, is not a fair punishment for any crime imaginable, right? Because no crime... In this world where, like, immortality, like, is effectively a thing and like, you cross the bounds between life and death and that's, like, a casual thing for people, any crime no longer has, like, an eternal effect. So any punishment that's eternal is inherently unjust, and so everybody agreed that we're going to do something about that one way or the other. Um, and in, in the same way, Monster Care Squad, you know, you're taking care of these beasts, these monsters that in any other game would be the target. Um, in Hellpiercers, your, your goal is to rescue, you know, the dregs, the people who are who have been sent to hell. And there's some there's some hand wavery that there's more people in hell than you might expect, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's an all or nothing kind of deal. Yeah, it's not. It's I mean, also both of those games are connected to um, ideas that are very common, uh, or rather, that are rising in commonality now and rising in popularity. Like these are both sort of connected to very real revolutionary ideas about how we should treat the world around us uh, you know monster care squad has is connected to a lot of ideas about like ecology and steward stewardship with our world around us and hell pierces is very clearly connected to abolitionism yeah right and the, the monster care squad its society is founded in uh Demo democratic confederalism as well which is uh um a, a a thread of, of political ideology in the real world. I just adapted yeah. it to have, you know, dragons. <laughs> some some dragon Democrats. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
brilliant. Um, so I guess maybe now is a good time to sort of find out more about uh, hell pierces. Um, where to dive in? I guess let's let's start with um, why why are people fighting to free free others from hell, which we've already sort of touched on with the it's an it's an a cruel punishment, an unjust punishment for for anything. But I'd love to delve into that a little bit deeper if there's more to more yeah, for you yeah. to share. There's a couple of little beats, yeah, and and you know the the pardon me okay. the the foundational lore, right? The backstory of the game. You might as well start there, I guess. Is yeah. That it's actually set in the future of another game idea that I had a long time ago that I could never quite figure out how to make, right? So so there's another game somewhere swimming around in here. But at a point in time prior to all this, humanity uh, figured out how to go to heaven. They figured out how where heaven is, where this like other realm is, this higher place. And they went there and they found it lacking. Um, they found the, the sort of noble creatures that were supposed to guard this place are not as noble as they thought. They found that the souls that were here were not, you know, subject to an eternal peace. Um, they found um, whatever deity it was there to be um, not the wise and great, powerful uh, being that that uh, that we would all like to imagine is in charge of everything. But instead, um, what's known in, in Gnosticism as a, a demiurge, a sort of a sort of um, a godlike figure that lacks the wisdom that one needs to to use the power uh, to have sort of the power and 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 reach of of a sort of capital G god right um and within this this religious concept within this this uh tradition uh the demiurge the reason that our world sort of sucks is because the demiurge made it right and that we are these divine beings that have been trapped within this realm um and it's this flawed way of living with all this suffering because the Demiurge doesn't know how to make stuff right. Um, in our setting, those guys are all dead. We, the humans managed to defeat them and beat them in this big war. And using the science and, and research and uh, power that they gleaned from there, they ascended to this uh, sort of demigod form. And pretty much immediately everyone was like, well, that's not enough people, right? Like, we know how many people have died. There's there's not nearly enough people around to just to, to make sense. The math doesn't add up. So these big minds get together and they figure out that hell is full and it exists and that it has similar kind of creatures that were running heaven, but maybe maybe they're a little less um, a little less uh, subtle about their intentions for using souls as things like weapon tools and building materials and that sort of thing. Um, and just the horror of this 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 reveal. By this point, humanity has has sort of trans transgressed transgressed certainly, but transcended um, <laughs> any of these like any sort of uh, you know political energy that that exists on Earth doesn't particularly apply to these guys anymore because they're no they're no longer what you and I could recognize particularly as human. There's still a society. There's still Earth. People still live. People still do work. But every single human being is a godling. Uh, so their ideas of morality are probably a little different from ours. Every single human being, upon the rev upon knowing that hell existed, immediately knew that's not right. We would like we we have we have smashed this like cosmic order that like lashed us into this situation in the first place. And whatever the consequences of that are, we've accepted them. It would be the height of hypocrisy to find another jail and be like, 
well, fuck them, right? Forget it. Like we're, 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 you know, we've got other better things to be doing. So everyone comes together and decides. Um, there's a little piece of one of the few pieces of lore that are like fully written up in the book right now is there was this uh, this conclave, this like collection of millions of representatives of every workplace and country and cultural group and everything else that comes together into the exact center of the earth, this city just outside of um, a larger city whose name I forget in Turkey. Down, so, um, they come together at this at this geographic center of the world. And they have a vote, and the vote is unanimous that we're all going. It probably helps that they're pretty confident they're going to win. Um, <laughs> which is another sort of like thing I want to play with with the game is that you're you're not playing as people on the back foot. You know what I mean? You're playing as the players are the ones with with a lot of agency in this game. Mm. So that's sort of that's sort of how you get there. Um, There's a lot of energy to this that um, like sort of uh, reminds me of other things, not in a like oh you're rehashing way but in a like i can see threads of this connecting to like other uh stories that people have tried to tell and i think that this oh, is absolutely. a very a very like i think this is a a strong thematic thread in uh in humanity of of telling these kinds of stories i'm, I'm very much mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. the the coming together and you unanimously agreeing thing very much reminds me of something in um on the in the night's dawn books where humanity sort of split into these two technological factions that have very different cultures and uh one of the cultures realizes oh if we we can ride out this existential threat safe in our in our uh, space habitats uh, and it'll only affect the other people with their different technology because uh theirs uh, is more susceptible to this thing and they decide that it is not worth the uh the guilt the safety is not worth the guilt that would come with it and so they decide mm -hmm. not to lock themselves away in their in their habitats and they decide to sally forth and go to war and the way that they like and these like two factions have been at war for years or whatever for, for mm -hmm, like a mm -hmm. hundred years or something um but the way that they end up like sending their peace message about like oh we're going to join you is uh we have decided to join you in this battle because the universe would be a more boring place without you <laughs> <laughs> you um, see it throughout history right whenever whenever you get an actual human being behind the wheel right i feel like you see you get a story like that right there's a lot of things like Certainly there's a lot of media, you know what I mean? I run around, I'm a sponge, I collect, like, I, I watch so many movies, and I read so many books, and I play so many games. Um, it just it just sits in there and, and, and sieves through, and there's, so there's hundreds of elements of tons of different stuff in here, and it, right, that, that core story is something that just pops up a lot. The real this, life stuff, right? I'm yeah. thinking about, like, like nuclear missile crises. Yeah. Right? The, what, the way that we, the way that we somehow, yeah, I mean, nuclear missile crises is a great one with, like, people... Um, refusing to fire nuclear missiles despite getting like yeah, yeah. orders to do so. That huge, mm -hmm. uh, that huge military training exercise that NATO did in, uh, did in Europe and, uh, but didn't tell Russia. I didn't tell mm -hmm. the USSR. And so the USSR was like, Oh, kill them all. They're clearly, they're clearly <laughs> preparing to attack us. And like the commanders on the ground are like, we're pretty sure that they're just doing a training exercise and they're so monumentally stupid. They didn't think to tell us. <laughs> didn't think to give us an expert. Didn't think to give us an explanation for why they were moving like millions of troops around Europe. Uh, we're I've always been in love. Blow them up. I've always been in love with those stories, right? Cause 
there's there's one about a, a Russian um, like nuclear sub team that made a similar decision based on faulty information or whatever it was at the time where they, you know, when push came to shove, the person in the sub decided, well, if the world up there is ending and everyone I know is dead, right? Every Everyone I know is dead and everybody, everybody everywhere likely is going to be dead any minute now. I'm not going to contribute. Like, if, if, if all I do, it's my last act on Earth as potentially one of the few humans left with agency is to say, well, forget it. Right. I'll I'll let if if I save a hundred thousand Yankees who would happily like kill my family, that's fine. That's better that's better than the alternative, right? That's better than the that's than better than, yeah, to burning them in nuclear whatever, fire. Whatever the whatever the result is, whatever the apocalypse is, whatever the the, the God forbid, whatever the write up I get from my lieutenant, whatever it is, right? That's that is worth the the that is worth the peace of mind, as brief as it may be, that I didn't that I didn't end the world, right? That I didn't mm-hmm. accidentally or intentionally. Even if the nu- even if the nukes are real, I don't think that we should launch, right? I think that that's the decision that lots of people have made throughout history. That's beautiful to me. I, I'm in love with that kind of story, and so so uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely anticipating somebody somewhere being like, "Why would they let all these murderers free?" And my response is, "Well." Because as as awful as the crimes of everybody in hell undoubtedly are, or are not, because who the hell are you trusting to tell you what those crimes were, right? The, the jailers themselves. But the the consequence, as as much as I can think of horrible consequences for releasing all of these people and giving them freedom and stuff, the reality is that it's 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 morally correct to do. And so that more than covers for me like the the any kind of conflict that could arise from it it's an intentional decision in the book that i don't think that we're giving too much page Lame. space to justifying the decision you know what i mean to yeah to, and i th- i think that that says something like oh we're not gonna we don't need to justify why this uh it needs to be done because it is to all the people involved in making this decision um it is morally they are morally unanimous on on that it being a good thing. So there's no point in putting that discussion in there because they wouldn't discuss it. Cre- creates interesting friction for the table, though, I think. I think it's oh, a, definitely. Yeah. It's an interesting... It would be interesting to have a table full of people who have very different ideas about why it's okay to be doing this or, like, why they're there in hell risking their lives for these souls. And we've got these... Okay. We've got these sort of undeveloped at-the-moment ideas about... You know, native um, hell um, people, you know, cultures or groups or creatures or whatever, indigenous groups that lived in hell before whatever, back when hell was whatever. Before it was was turned into a jail? Yeah. And and these are, these are, yeah, these are completely undeveloped thoughts, right? These are, these aren't in the book. These are, these are concepts that we've been tossing around a little bit, but like, there's some fun stuff there I'm sure to play around with kind of goes in this direction too. Yeah, that'd be cool to get somebody like um, more attached to like indigenous resistance and stuff to like contribute on. Maybe if there was budget, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe there's someone like that in the group already. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's the person who came up with these ideas in the first place. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Um, I guess the other sort of story it reminds me of is how like every anyone who's written a War of the Worlds sequel, it's always. Uh, either an earth counter invasion or like earth uniting to defend against the second uh second mm-hmm. martian invasion like i can't think of a sequel to war of the worlds that doesn't tell that story mm-hmm. like 
I remember the first time I even ever saw a War of the Worlds sequel. It was uh, about humanity building giant rockets using World War One technology <laughs> to uh, that could fit entire armies in them. I'm just like, that's too big. That's too big to ever get off the surface of Earth. <laughs> but fair enough. <laughs> just uh, just huge fucking World War One rockets full of like a hundred thousand men. In in their little Bradley helms with their Lewis guns. <laughs> oh, let's go give those Martians what for? Um, we'll be back before Christmas. Yeah, we'll be back back to Earth before Christmas. Um, yeah, I mean, I love the idea of a of invading hell and uh, and a a yeah a global uh, a humanity wide war effort to invade hell i um, really want to write um as a preview and this isn't again this is not done yet and it, it's contingent upon me getting my crap together for two months i really want to write a battle group hack that is depicting uh, yeah. like the opening hours of the invasion of this like aerial battle to to the, within the context of the game, the game begins like the hour after the city of Dis falls. The city of Dis is a city in hell. Yeah. Um, it's like the city of hell. Um, and within the the logic of the game, it goes that demons demons do not fight wars, right? They fight these petty squabbling like skirmishes against one another, but they don't fight wars. There's no outside force coming in. They've got full dominion over their world. They have this. The way our hell is made up is really interesting in the setting. It's this sort of constantly growing, like, fractal of a place that, mm. you, if you look into the horizon, you see these fingers of of world rising up into a sort of miasmic space um, that, that, these, that, that, that the realm is kind of constructed out of. Um, and demons just have full control over their finger of, of, of hell. Um, except here in Dis, um, and Dis doesn't have all that many defenses... They certainly weren't expecting a bunch of, like, cybernetically super-advanced god-beings to show up in their super-carriers and blow them up from space. But I thought it would be cool to have, like, as a promo material or, like, a preview game or just something to put out with the book, maybe, uh, a battle group hack that allows you to kind of play this conflict out and, and build a bulkhead for um, for the Hellpiercers themselves. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, I could... I could it's sort of... Um... Reminds me of um, the 40k Forge Road book, the Taros Campaign, has mm -hmm. like a, which is ostensibly a book about a ground war. It has like a whole aside about how there's an entire like part of this book that we're not going into detail of this campaign that we're not going into detail. That is the air campaign mm -hmm. uh, of this war. And then they ended up uh, like t a decade later spinning that. Was it a decade? It might have only been five years, but like, um, uh, Games Workshop ended up spinning that off. And so the Taros campaign is the premise for Aeronautica Imperialis, which is the which is the X-Wing competitor that Games Workshop mm -hmm. put out with all of their little ships. And like the setting for that is the Taros campaign. Um gotcha. uh, which is interesting. Um yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I like the that's a cool concept. Uh be cool to ha cool to have it. But even if not, like just a, a write-up about how how the opening of this was like a big air air war would be cool, even on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean that leaves you space to do a do a your own battle group uh, 
spin-off for Hellpierce <laughs> is like a uh, much in the same way that Battle Group came out after Lancer, right? Um, right, right, right. I mean, we're yeah. chomping at their heels. You know what I mean? What can I say? <laughs> Lancer really, like, I'm, I have a Lancer game later tonight. I'm really excited about it. But Lancer, like, there's so much juice in Lancer and Icon. They're such good games. They're, they're so... There's so much complexity and depth to them given to you in a way that is so much fun to interact with. Um, you know, I'll be the first to say it. You know, it, since 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 fourth edition, I've been wanting to make a me. since fourth edition, I've been wanting to make something this. You know, this tactics stuff. A lot of people don't know Monster Care Squad actually started in a similar concept um, as a tactics based dungeon crawler where instead of fighting monsters, you were healing them. It purely Monster Care Squad began as like this observation that. Well, the HP doesn't have to go down to zero, right? If you've got two values, a maximum and a minimum, right? It doesn't really matter which way they go, so long as it hits one or the other. It's like, what if, what if all the orcs get beaten up in some way that makes them angry, and they come and like try to fight you, and you've got to kind of dodge and non-violently resolve whatever their problem is? I couldn't make it work. It sounds boring. It sounds bad. Um, but that nugget of thought carried over into Monster Care Squad, and now I get to make. Uh, one where all the numbers go down to zero, it's a lot easier. The math works a lot better. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's always been lingering there in the back of my mind. Um, but it was really reading, reading and playing Icon, going back reading and playing Lancer. Those two are just beautiful games. I'm really excited to contribute to a kind of like growing space of of heavy tactics, not not crunchy. I think in the way that people are expecting or expecting from, like, big tabletop games, but heavy, you know? Like, there are a lot of choices, a lot of a lot of gears to play with, a lot of customization. That's kind of the goal. Yeah, that's... Uh, working on my own um, tactical RPG as well with um, Assault Fleet, which I'm very annoyed that I announced Assault Fleet, and then, like, two weeks later, I see that, like, oh, Battle Group's going to be coming out, and I'm like, fucking... <laughs> Again, because no. because it also happened with uh, me starting my Mecha game. Um, and I was like, <laughs> God damn it! Literally, these Whoa. same people. We keep being on Whoa. the same wavelength. Uh, definitely with uh, with Assault Fleet, though, it's very different uh, different vibes uh, to uh, to Battle Group. Uh, thank God. Once the yeah, full release, for, yeah. Once the first release of Battle Group came out, and I'm like reading over, and I'm like, I got to make sure that this isn't the fucking same <laughs> thing. So glad, but yes, I, I've definitely found working on that coming from like a coming from a indie game tradition. Definitely not all indie games like this, but uh, for me, the indie game tradition that I'm coming from is very much about like um, uh, less complexity and definitely less needless complexity. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that a lot of tactical games in the past, especially when you think of like D and D as a tactical game, um, but also you know things like fucking. I mean, you could say that Twilight Two Thousand is a tactical game, but it's not really. It's a it's a simulationist game. Um, uh, but definitely, uh, a lot of tactical games go towards like needless complexity. You know, we've got to calculate it. We've got to track all of our bullets. We've got to calculate all of our. Uh, it's calculate like all of our windages and, and stuff. Yeah. It's like a sim um, like you said, like a simulationist or war game-ist yeah. kind of like approach to it, and that you're kind of like the logistical side of it seems to be of great interest to designers, right? Like seem to be a lot of designers out there who are very interested in making sure that logistics are interesting and important and have like these gears that you can play with, like I was saying earlier. 
Um, not super convinced there's a lot of players who feel the same. So yeah, I, indeed. Know, yeah. yeah, and so similarly to what you're talking about, like having having choices but not having like um not being like weighed down with options and stuff, like overburdened with options, I guess, sort of uh, what you were talking about. I can't remember the exact wording you used before. <laughs> Um, I would say I would say deep but not crunchy. I think yeah, deep but not crunchy was the words you were using, uh, and similarly have found uh, like a similar desire, um, and like I, I have a I have a whole logistic sheet you use, but that's because like the attrition is a key part of assault fleet because when the campaign for assault fleet is about being a thousand years and a thousand light years from home. Um, and there being absolutely no way back and the technology of this place you find yourself in being completely incompatible. So the resources you have are the resources you have. And so it's all about attrition. It's very much, right, 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 right. uh, the game is, <laughs> I think if you, I think if you were playing an endless campaign of, of Assault Fleet, it would be how long can you last? And so there would right, be a replayability right, right. to that campaign of like, can we make different choices <laughs> to try and last longer? Can we get another week out of our out of our uh, out of our Corvette, uh, out of our assault carrier? Um, I think that's sick. Yeah. Uh, the, see, this is the thing. You can approach the question of logistics is the thing mm. that I think interests people. You can approach that so many different ways, right? I'd love this idea that you got of it being like a ticking clock, right? This, like this, 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 you're trying to make, you're trying to make more go further than the other guy. And like, that's ultimately what war is, right? Is that you're trying to make what you've got go further. Comparatively in help piercers, we, I just got off the phone with Quinn Welsh Wilson, uh, who is collabing with me really closely on this game. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic creator there. Um, big shout outs. But um, we just talked about this where I just recently finished designing an element of the GM system where uh, if anyone's read the preview copy that's kicking around, or if you go and read it right now, you'll notice that there really isn't a lot in for uh, Game Master mechanics in there. We talk about it a lot. We talk about how there's this strategy layer and all this other stuff, but we haven't put it into the preview edition that's gone out. Frankly, I didn't have them written when the preview edition first went out, and they need a lot more refining than most of the other mechanics are because they're kind of the. I I often of... find that the that uh, MC uh, facilitator rules are like the one the hardest thing for me to write, and two like um, the last thing to be written with yeah, working yeah. on defensive Babylon. Like I have all the player rules pretty much finished, and it's just like. All right, we're going to play test, and I'm going to make up MC rules on the fly. The, <laughs> parts that, the parts that feel good, I'll make a note to write down later <laughs> um, and actually codify. But in this seat, we have yeah. to, and that's that's how I am all the time too. But for me, this and and for this game, this has to be different because mm -hmm. it's it's taking a very different approach to what the what the role of the facilitator, the GM, the hell master, whatever it is we go with, sort of ends up being, right? They, rather than playing, I wanted to create it so that rather than playing, uh, rather than being a facilitator in someone else's game, the GM is sort of playing their own war, right? I want yeah. to give the GM tools that they are able to sort of meaningfully create a battle plan and an ongoing kind of goal and an objective system that sort of flows out of the mechanics and creates this narrative um, and is supported by the game. And so you got to have some GM rules in there. 
So yeah. I was talking to, to Quinn about these, and we had, we were discussing how you got the system for convoys, right? Um, Hellpiercers is split into three different game modes. You've got TACCOM, STRATCOM, and Hanging Out. Um, and TACCOM is your, your, you've got your battle map, you've got grid, you've got, you're moving around, you've got pieces, you're shooting stuff, you're fighting, that kind of thing. STRATCOM is the, the map game level. It's where you're, you're building buildings, you're looking at, at where your opponent is, is moving around, you're upgrading your, your equipment, you're building a new, um, building a new build you're uh you're doing all of like the kind of like we were talking about before the logistical stuff and i wrote in one of the things that the gm can do during stratcom is they can send out a convoy right and uh they can send a convoy from a location to another location and what that convoy is and what it's carrying and what it does to to varying degrees there is support for mechanical stuff there is like a list of types of convoy um, and there is some guidance about what that convoy does and why you might send one from one location to another. But ultimately, there isn't like a numbers, right? This con- convoy A is not carrying 150 units of Hellsteel. And when it yeah. arrives at production building B, that does not immediately allow production building B to spend 150 units of Hellsteel to create an object which has stats, which is then used in some way in the 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 engine of the game that's that's not how we want to go with it that's not how i want to go with it anyway yeah so i've done the i've done the same stuff with like logistical things i've designed where it's like this is an abstraction we know that like in the actual game world it's not an abstraction and this thing would have like actual quantifiable numbers but for the point of gameplay it's an abstraction you have this many like ammo reserves that you can spend it to generate like Mm -hmm. you know d8 fighter squadron bullets or d4 um large ship bullets and yada 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 right right so so the discussion i was having with quinn was like largely about the fidelity of how much how much tracking how much fluff how much how much fog do you want to generate with these mechanics right how much how much complexity is layered in here and finding that Goldilocks zone where you you have enough rules and support for stuff happening that the GM is not kind of doing so much stuff on their own, generating so much stuff in their brain, but not so much that you can't retain that sort of, what's the word for it? That agency, that mm. fiat that GMs have, that the role has, that is, people are going to hate that I said fiat, aren't they? But like... Yeah. What, what what you know like makes, the car company but yeah what <laughs> makes that role work right what what i think i think everybody's favorite gm i think everyone's favorite memory that involves their gm doing something involves the gm doing something that wasn't written down in the rule maybe i'm like reaching there maybe i'm like taking my own extrapolation but like ultimately i think the the the, the beauty of the gm role is that you have a human being at the table who while interfacing with the rules is explicitly given permission to say Maybe it doesn't work that way this time. Maybe something else happens. Maybe like, you know, maybe so so like you've got these walls around the city of Dis, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe the GM says that the cannon that they just built is enough to blow them up, right? There's nowhere written in the book that that's true, but you're going to believe them because that's their job. And now you've got drama. We got to destroy that cannon because otherwise our walls are going to fall and they're going to invade and we're going to have problems. And those those narrative beats naturally follow from one to the other without me needing to tell you that the cannon does 2d100 damage, right? That serves yeah. nobody. 
in that in the context of that decision being made, that doesn't serve anybody. There's certainly context where the cannon does two d one hundred damage is valuable and helpful information. But if my sort of objective as someone playing this game is to engage in a war with interesting like set pieces, and the GM within this social contract that we have is essentially like is essentially saddled with the responsibility of making up cool stuff happening, mm. finding a a a fidelity within the rules that still enables the GM to do that as much as they want, or as much as is like necessary within like these the frameworks of these games that we come up with. We just don't want to be in a position where we're squelching an amount of creativity, a, a, a sort of like your ability to tell your own story. You know, yeah. I, I want to, I want, I want your your adventure and your campaign through hell to be unique. Uh, I um, I just finished writing like a bunch of. Um, a bunch of like enemies and stuff for defense of Babylon. And uh, I was making the, the vehicles, like the tanks and stuff that you might summon to sure. for the, for the players to fight. Um, and I had given like the, a bunch of the tank, like a, like a tank, for example, would have like machine gun, like two plus two D six against, uh, against infantry and um, battle cannon destroy like, wound everyone in an area and then i went back and looked at it and i'm like this is too mechanically concrete for a facilitator well either this damage is going to be too lethal in some uh situations or um it's going to be like not destructive enough and so i went through and just rewrote them all so that instead of being mechanics they're just narrative permission so it says battle cannon destroy an area um right right, uh, right. battle cannon ap ammo um injure a vehicle um uh, machine gun cut down infantry um instead of having uh, actual mechanics tied to it and that's similar to the like the thing you're talking about the cannon it doesn't necessarily matter there are sometimes when how much damage it does matters but like the thing that matters more is like this could turn the war effort like this represents a uh escalation of uh of uh of events and like that sort of yeah i i fully fully see what you're talking about there with the with the sometimes it's more useful to give player give uh people running games like narrative permission more than mechanical like dice like oh you know mm -hmm. to destroy destroy a wall roll a deeper sense like to destroy a wall like foreshadow you're about to destroy a wall and then if they don't do anything destroy the wall right yeah yeah exactly but it, it but it's that thing you know quinn brought up the people who play these games people who like tactics games they they have we were saying before you know it's who who who's to say what elements of these games are interesting to 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 people and what aren't but i think yeah. uh I think having a narrative forward, you know, what is that? What is it that they used to say? Powered by the apocalypse was narrative first, something like that. Yeah, narrative is, is, uh, story first. I think something like the, that. Yeah, something like that. But that approach, right? That's kind of, I think, something that's powering a lot of the decisions that I make while we're while we're making this. Is that I want a game that feels to the tactics genre generally the same that Powered by the Apocalypse and and Blaze in the Dark felt to the more like the the kind of you know, traditional yeah. TTRPG, where instead of I hit the orc for 10 damage, you you hit the orc and then this sort of narrative story plays out, right? This little, 
that's what a move is, right? It's a little story that happens mm-hmm. when when the dice play a certain way. That's uh, kind yeah. of the thing. Yeah, a we'll move, we'll a move is. A move is the seamless. Uh, a move is the seamless uh, combination of um, narrative, world building, and uh, and game mechanics um, in a way that like cannot be separated from one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't have moves in my game, but no, that's but, uh, yeah. that's the that's the that's the that's definitely the ideal the the philosophy the ideology. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, I can do it some justice. You know, you know, I'm. I, I, I think that we're doing pretty good. I think we've got some good foundationals here. I think we've got a lot of fun stuff to work with. We've certainly got a fantastic team. Um, at the very worst, the very worst, if this Kickstarter succeeds, uh, I'm going to be giving some fantastic people a lot of money to make some really cool drawings of demons. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm hopeful that justifies the, per- the, the, the price point, regardless of what the rest of the game ends up doing. But I'm pretty sure we're going to have a pretty good game to go along with those cool pictures. I'm curious because you were talking about like, how there is a strategic level to both player play and uh, and facilitator play, um, and and the idea of the the MC or whoever's running the game being like they have their war effort, which reminds me of uh, like um, I think it's it's not Fellowship, it's another powered by the apocalypse game um, that is also a fantasy game where you have like. Um, the MC has a playbook and the playbook discernments like the kind of threat. I think it's also in, uh, in. I was going to say, it is in fellowship. I've, I've, uh, that, oh, it is in fellowship. Yeah. 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 There's like the, there's like the dragon or the like, um, or the dark Lord or whatever. And they have all of their stuff that they can do. And I think that's also in, um, what is it? Army of blades or, or whatever. The one where you have the blades in the dark thing where you're, where you have like, um, where you have like your individual person play, and then you also have like your company play. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Army of. It's not called Army of Darkness, but it's like, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, that sort of a thing. Um, I, I think you're in good company there. I guess is what I what I was trying to say. Uh, and I th- and I really love those kinds of ideas, and I've I've often toyed with like making that too. So I'm keen to see hell pieces. Um, uh, do it and see how you you do it. But the question I have is with the tactical play thing, um, or the strategic play, sorry, is is there a similar language used between these demons, the demon war effort and the quote unquote human war effort? Or is the or does it feel different? Do they are their tactics different? Like does the does the well the, would the D I think it would be cool if the demon strategic thing is like Talking like it's medieval warfare, or like, or even like Roman legionary. Like we've got to send like twenty legions, and we've got to build forts along the way to to protect ourselves. Um, <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, yeah. Me- mechanically speaking, I think one of the interesting things that we do to create a very different experience is that the GM isn't playing a tactics game, really, right? Mm-hmm. The players are. The players' choices are like like Final Fantasy Tactics level stuff, right? They're this disguise or whatever. Pardon me. It's disguise or whatever. But the GM really isn't playing a tactics. The thing in a tactics game that you that that is almost universal across it is that you have an arena with a, a set number of guys and they beef it out until one of them is is dead, right? That's almost every tactics game in the world has that at its kind of foundational principle. The thing is is that the GM can have as many guys as they want. 
right? That's the that's the critical difference. Is that the the, the human side to to be not, to to give the players a name that is maybe a little bit more um, than they deserve? But the humans, they've got as many players as they have, and they have whatever whatever the build is that they took into the fight. And if that guy dies, that's unfortunate. Um, but the GM can just say another guy. Comes, yeah, another guy comes through the door. So. In a sense, yeah, I mean, the way that they approach fights is hugely different. The One of the big things that we do to support that, to kind of encourage it, is the main mechanic that fights usually come in, in one of three different forms. Either minions, um, minions and mini-bosses, or boss fights. Um, and the minions and minions and mini-bosses section are the two that you really got to look out for. So that's where the swarm mechanics come in. The genesis of this idea has been uh, of Hellpiercers, sorry, like how Hellpiercers became a game is that I sat down one day and I was like, oh, this would be an interesting way for creatures to move around in a game. This would be an interesting way to create the effect of a swarm of something coming at you rats or monsters or demons or whatever it is i came up with this idea of if you have one unit that is a horde unit right it can become a swarm and you have another swarm unit they can spend an action to merge and now instead of two units you've got one unit that is basically 10 times as powerful in health wise right and then you add another unit to it, another unit to it, another unit to it, another unit to it. It's not exponential. Mm, they don't. That's cool. Three units aren't, you know, whatever. They don't become like an unstoppable force, but they do become mini boss level or sometimes boss level threats on the on the field. And to move around, they reposition these elements of themselves, right? So if you imagine four of them, they take up a square, right? They take up a, a two by two square mm -hmm. on their movement turn. So long as each of those squares remain adjacent to at least one other square, they can become a one by four line, or they could become, you know, they, they could extend one part of themselves out as an appendage to do a flanking maneuver, that mm. kind of thing. That almost, and, um, that very much like feels like a, a legion of demons, like moving and positioning themselves. Like that feels like line formation, um, even if that, even if they're not like a legion of demons, even if it's like a whole bunch of like fire, like just a living flame, like it's still f that feels like formation tactics. Yeah, exactly. If but it feels like it feels like wild ass demon um, tactics, right? It's, yeah. It's it's and and we could do so much cool stuff with this. I I, I don't have time to begin to explain yeah. to you. Even go check out the preview doc if anyone listening to this has an interest in this at all. But we've already got a couple of factions in there that are doing some phenomenally cool stuff with this. Right? That 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 little nugget of 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 play has We've got a we've got a boss that uses them as weapons. We've got a boss that can pick up the swarm in its current shape and bash another like a, 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 the players with it. They can like sweep it through the play space and do all sorts of cool stuff, right? Um but then we give players the ability to crack that swarm to like break it and split it up into two two smaller swarms, right? Like the like a video game ooze or something. But anyway, you can see there, okay, so that the GM, whenever they got minions on the field, if you're a smart player, you understand, okay, so the GM's win state here is to coalesce all of their crap into one big blob and overwhelm us with numbers. And so now we we're we've got to react to that. And then whatever mini bosses are in play are gonna change it up. It's got this very video game vibe to it, right? Where like 
if someone drops a boss in play, not exactly like this, right? But when the when the hunter shows up in Halo, right? And they've got yeah. that gun and they've got that shield and it's always at the end of a big encounter. You're like, okay, I've got to apply a slightly different tactic to this thing. That's what we're going for with the with the mini bosses is that you can plonk them down into this thing. So you can see how the in the individual level, the tactical level, the the GM has these objectives that are different in a way that I think is thematically interesting than the players. And and what keeping maintaining the concept of win conditions in play is like something that we go for. And I'm applying it in the similar way that something like a fighting game or a a, a strategy game might apply this logic. When you hit your win condition, that doesn't mean you've won. That means you've you've got all of the shit that you need to win and now it's about execution, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I don't want anyone to be like, so what if the if the the GM gets their swarm going, you're doomed. No, you're you're gods and angels. You should you destroy them. Use your big guns. But um yeah. change <laughs> apply a different tactic. Um but right, so there's there's they've got in, in, in an individual level scale, in an individual battle, they've got this different uh mechanical goal. And uh, and they've got like a different way of playing in that they most of their guys are going to be um, using a limited number of attacks, they're going to be relying on numbers, they're going to be relying on overwhelming, they're going to be relying on, like, all this other stuff. Uh, and then on a strategy level, the GM gets so much narrative power, simply mm. by their role state, that their war is fundamentally, um, as much as we can, placed on the back foot from the players, right? That yeah. That they are, like, they are playing as demons reacting to an invasion, Right. In many ways, this is like the inverse of how most stuff sets up its its preposition. Right. Most stuff begins with like you, the player, are the reactive force. Something bad has happened to you or or is about to happen to the world or whatever. Instead, you are the bad thing happening to the demons. Right. Right. And the GM is the is the victim of your bad stuff and has to uh, begins the game. The Stratcom, this is an element I'm really proud of. I'm glad I get to squeeze this in. The Stratcom map game takes place on literal map tiles, right? I came mm-hmm. up with a really cool production method of um, getting uh, sh- like long tiles, these like sheets that are, um, couldn't tell you the exact dimensions, but they're like three by 11 or something. Um, and these three by 11 strips will be uh, mapped to an individual demon faction, right? And so it will be themed to them. It will have locations and all sorts of stuff. They the 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 GM begins with Dis, the big city that the demons all like to live in, gone, and they've got this big tract of land going right back to their own HQ and a fully like entrenched and empowered human side on the other side of the board. And they have to go. Okay, now what? They're their uh their stratcom actions are more limited compared to players they don't get to send out as much stuff or do as much stuff on a turn and their more powerful units unlock the more on the back foot the gm is mm-hmm. the worse off the gm does the better their units get the more powerful they get because while for you and me right playing this game as enlightened human beings who can who can read all the rules and understand it the gm doing worse we know what's going on. We're doing better. But in the logic of, you know, narrative and story, you're approaching the you're approaching the 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 last boss's main citadel. You're going to Hyrule Castle. Of course things are getting harder and harder the deeper you push, right? 
I was, was going to say, it's interesting how like all of these elements sort of like work to um, these, these make a bunch of assumptions that we have about games a lot easier to fit in. So like, why, why is it getting harder? Because we're pushing deeper into their, into their territory and they're like more, uh, more entrenched, more defensive, uh, you know, bigger, powerful demons don't want to like go out and fight wars. They want to like rule over the souls of hell. Um, but you've also got that, like that element of putting the, having the MC be reactive. Like I am naturally a reactive, uh, uh, MC. I want to have the players be telling me the thing they want to do. And then I just have to react to what that is because that, uh, I, I think that's better than me, like setting up some plan, uh, that they have to try and like navigate their way through. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think that like those two elements of game design that are really like well enforced um, by both your by your narrative, your actual design, and then like the way that people often not ne not everyone necessarily, but lots of people like want to play. Yeah, no, precisely. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. If, we'll see if we do any. See if we see if this works out. Indeed. I mean, there's so much to talk about with this game, and uh, uh, I think. Uh, I think we could spend hours talking about it, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. Um, uh, you've you've talked about some of your collaborators. Are there any other people you want to shout out uh, that are working on the project? Oh, I mean, the whole Sandy Pug squad, right? I mean, I mean, so many of us are involved on there. Um, we have not fully firmed up the squad on this yet. Right now, uh, it's Quinn and I doing collab, getting getting things lined up. But you've got you've got the unstoppable uh the marquee of shadows uh jn butler uh doing primary principal art on it right now we've got leafy uh who did the art for monster care squad uh they're coming to do some of it we've got um our good friend raul um who does some fantastic pixel art they're they're dedicated to doing these these brilliant little tutorial images so that people can know how the game works oh my god Sorry, burping a lot. You're gonna have to find a burp removal filter. We've yeah, does Audacity have a have a burp clearing tool? <laughs> <laughs> my wonderful friend Raul, um, who is doing the pixel art for the game, uh, they're doing these fantastic tutorial images. Um, no doubt, um, Emily Pennyway. Uh, no doubt, uh, our good friend Nichelle. No doubt, um. I mean, I, I couldn't begin to name. I, I assume the day that I say, okay, who wants to do some writing? Basically, everyone's going to be involved. Uh, Jan Martin, um, definitely going to be involved. Oh, um, I think a mutual of yours of mine, I have well known in the indie space, Guanzon. Um, Guanzon's got one of the uh, one of the preview factions written up. Uh, that's going to be in the book uh, at launch. Um it's really just this big collaborative effort, you know. I I feel bad for not being able to like laser in on a on an individual, but like at this stage in the game, when you're doing Kickstarter prep, you know, before the money's in, I always don't. I always am like really hesitant to 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 firm up any commitments because I don't have any money. I don't want. Yeah. I don't want. You know what I mean? You don't want. I don't want to be asking. Uh... You don't want people counting on on something that might not uh, might not come in. Exactly. Unlike unlike the way many people run Kickstarters. I'm not um, saying nothing. I'm not saying nothing. I, I, I will say word. it. I've interviewed <laughs> over a hundred of you, uh, you folk, and a bunch of you, uh, you know, might confirm to a conform to a certain <laughs> uh, conventional wisdom. And I think that conventional wisdom is dumb. 
Do not set your Kickstarter goal lower than you need to be able to produce the thing just so that you can get the funded in two hours thing. That is a bad idea. idea. Um, That is my number one Kickstarter advice for people. We've always been, I mean, you know, you look at the history of setting up games, we we hedge our bets. You know what I mean? I, 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 I know that we make stuff quick and we're a little like... We're a little rock and roll about it. We're a little ramshackle. Some of our games come out. Maybe they don't have all that much editing. Maybe they got a weird graphic at a place it's not supposed to be. Maybe we've got to put out some errata. But the things that really matter to me, right? The way how the, the wheels turn, I care about that stuff. And I'm really careful about it, right? I'll let a typo slip. I'll I'll goof an, Im- uh, an image description. There'll be pages goosed here and there. I'm not making a great case for why you should back my Kickstarter. But that sort of stuff, the, the art... That's that's got a little wiggle room to be a little rough, right? People people are cool with that. I'm cool with it. That's how it is. But the the behind the scenes stuff has to be has to be crystal clear. Has to be diamond shiny. It's got to be it's got to be on point. And so I don't hire anybody who doesn't volunteer until mm-hmm. until we've got some money in hand. Until you know whatever. Everyone's everyone gets paid for everything that they do, and that's vital to me. And so. In two months, when we launch the Kickstarter, I'll have a better answer for you about who's on the team. Um, but right now, that list of that list of folks I spoke off are, have, have all contributed in huge, huge ways. Uh, I'm excited to have more people do so. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm guessing that if people want to find Hell Pierces, there's the Kickstarter preview is up, right? And they can follow it there to get notified when it goes live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And where else can people find out more about Hell Pierces and more about you as a game designer? Uh, it will stun, I'm sure everybody know this, but I'm over there on that uh, Twitter. Um, on, e- on Elon Musk's Twitter? <laughs> on Elon Musk's Twitter. I'm on there. Um, I'm on, you can go over to our itch. You can check out our, oh, we've got our, we got our own website. You can go to sandybuckgames.com. Um, yeah, go there. Got, uh, go check that out. Go check that out. We've got a Tumblr. We've got an Instagram. I mean, after the schism, we've got we've got everything. We've got a we've got video. We've got a, we've got a daily motion. We're on. <laughs> <laughs> we're on Live Leak. Yeah, catch us on Live Leak. That's where we're hanging out a lot these days. Uh, you know, Bumbler, whatever else you you've got. We're on all of them. We're on Tinder. Uh, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so you'll be able to find all the links to uh, to those, uh, the ones that we can actually find the links for, uh, down below uh, in the description for this episode. Um, and uh, you can also find more interviews from us uh, from past years and past, uh, past Kickstarters and past game designers uh, by clicking on the interviews tag or the interview tag, depending. <laughs> Uh, But for now, farewell from the past. I'm Ray.